Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. So we wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving this week. Hope you have a, a great time uh, with your families and friends and all those that you're getting together with. This morning, I want to uh, kind of wrap up our just this two-part series, the how-to series, I call it. Last week, we talked about how not to fear and the fact that fear destroys our ability to love. So by learning to conquer our fears, it opens up the door for us to really fully love God, which that's not a difficult thing because God fully loves us, right? It also opens the door for us to fully love people around us which is not always as easy. That gets a little sticky sometimes, doesn't it? In Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 and 6, and also in six other places in the Bible, we find uh, that out of all of God's commandments to us, and there are several, the greatest single commandment is to simply love God. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. That's the greatest of all of the commandments, to fully love God. And what I want to talk about today is what that means to fully love God or fully love anyone for that matter. But it's that second greatest commandment that gives most of us some trouble sometimes. That second greatest commandment which says to love one another. How many of you have ever found that difficult in life? Boy, there's a lot of people out there that are just tough to love, aren't they? Absolutely, incredibly hard to love because they're so unloving themselves. But he's given us several commandments. Uh, One says, thou shalt not steal. Remember that one? But an even greater commandment is to love. One says, thou shalt not lie, but a greater commandment is to love. One, thou shalt not kill. An even greater commandment to love. One says, thou shalt not commit adultery. An even greater one to love. But there's always some guy in the crowd who says, well, yeah, I mean, that's the one that got me in trouble. I'm supposed to love everybody. That's what led to the adultery. But that's a different sermon. See, that's not about love. That's about lust. And it's a completely different topic, isn't it? That's a different sermon. Our greatest commandment from God is to simply love. Therefore, it deserves our attention, I think. I mean, since this is the most powerful being in the universe and this is his greatest commandment, we ought to pay attention to that, don't you think? We read in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So once again, God is telling us that love is the greatest thing. You know, there's a lot of good things in life, but there can only be one greatest thing. There can be a lot of great things in life, but there can only be one greatest thing. Are we in agreement on that? And God says loving him and loving others is the greatest thing we can do. Romans 13.8 tells us that we, uh, that love is actually a debt that we owe to each other. 
It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. I owe you a debt, and that debt is love, and in turn, you owe me the same debt. We are all in debt to each other, but how often are we guilty of not paying up? Sometimes we fall short, don't we? You know, what we're talking about here is a we're not talk godly type of love. The Bible refers to it as an agape love. We're not talking about just simply attraction. A lot of times people get attraction to one another and love between two people completely mixed up. And that's why the divorce rate is so high. People are attracted to each other. They're not always necessarily loving each other. 1 Corinthians 13, this is a pretty interesting chapter, especially to us who are Pentecostals. Because it very plainly tells us that love is even more important than any of the gifts or talents or, or spiritual abilities that God may extend to us. It says, Paul wrote this, he said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you know how annoying a clanging cymbal can be? Clang, 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 clang. Let me know if this gets annoying at any point. Boy, really annoying, right? He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Well, that's something, isn't it? This verse, it begins by saying that, you know, we can walk around, we could speak in tongues all day long, but if we don't show love to others, we are just wasting our time and annoying people. Nobody wants to hang around a clanging cymbal. It just gives you a headache, doesn't it? It even goes on to say that love is more important than any amount of knowledge. Now that's a mouthful right there, too, because we live in a, in a society that places incredible importance on knowledge and education, which is important. But do we have things backwards a little bit? According to the Bible, learning to love is more important than all of your children's schooling put together, mom and dad. That's what it says right there in, in verse 2. Love is more important than knowledge. So that means that to God, it's more important to teach our children to love others and have a loving heart than it is to send them to school to get an education. And that is important, right? So because we know that's important, we should be able to fathom that, hey, having a loving heart is even that much more important. But there's a lot of people who apparently don't believe that because there's a lot of folks that don't spend 30 minutes a week teaching their children to have a loving heart towards others, but they send them to school for 30, 40 hours a week to learn math and English and science and all of those things. We get things backwards sometimes. I'm telling you, this business of loving others is incredibly important. In Galatians 5.22, we get a list of, of all of the fruits of the Spirit. 
The very first one it mentions is love. Love is mentioned before peace. Love is mentioned before joy. It's mentioned before long-suffering or before gentleness, even mentioned before goodness and faith. And the Lord sums it up nicely in John 15, 12. He said, my command is this. It's very point blank. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You know, John 4, 8 says that God is what? God is, how do we define God? Love. God is love. So it's impossible to really know God unless we have the ability to love because God is love. 1 John 3.14 tells us that our salvation depends on our ability to love. Have you ever thought of it that way? Your salvation your eternity hangs in the balance on your ability to show love. It says this, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Wow. Anyone who does not love remains in death. How many of you have ever th had, the, had the thought, you see somebody say, man, I, I cannot stand them. Let me see your hand if you've ever had that thought. Now, most of you were honest. I appreciate that this morning. I thought I'd have about a half a dozen hands, but most of them shot right up. Yeah, I've had that thought. I'll tell you, when we have that thought, though, oh, I can't stand that guy or whatever, we better do a little heart check, a little salvation check. Our eternity hangs in the balance on our attitude towards people around us even if they treat us badly. This is the part that gets difficult. But that verse says, we know that we have passed from death to life because of our love for our brothers. So what does that say in modern English? It's saying, look, we know we're going to go to heaven because we, have, we love our brothers or sisters. It's important to know what it doesn't say, though. It doesn't say, well, you know, we'll love all the, the good and decent brothers. That just says brothers, right? It doesn't say, well, we'll love, we'll, we'll love all the, you know, the, the clean, attractive, nice brothers. That just says the brothers. Uh, we'll just love all the, you know, the righteous brothers. See, I know what you're thinking. You never close your eyes anymore when I we're not talking about those guys. But that's what you were thinking about, isn't it? That's a different set of righteous brothers. The Bible is telling us we'll know that we're going to pass from death into eternal life because we were able to show love to people around us. That's pretty important. Pretty important. I like what John 13, 35 said. By this, all men will know that you are disciples if you love one another. How should people know that we really are Christians, not just talk? Because we show love to people, right? You know, I grew up in an era where it wasn't always that way. I remember people having an attitude, hey, I bet that guy's a Christian because he doesn't have long, crazy hair. 
Because you can't have long, crazy hair and be a Christian. I remember that attitude. Hey, I'll bet she's a Christian because she doesn't wear, you know, short shorts. Provocative clothes. She must be a Christian. Hey, that guy, I'll bet he's a Christian. He's not all covered with tattoos. What's the man? I'll bet, I'll bet, I'll bet he's a Christian. He doesn't smoke, drink, cuss, chew, or run with girls that do. I mean, really, if you're running with a girl that chews tobacco, you need you need to make some changes anyway. To be frank. <laughs> That's just come on. <laughs> now it's probably good for us to refrain from you know <laughs> several of those things I just mentioned. But that is not how the Bible says that we as Christians will be differentiated from the world. It says nothing about that stuff. It says other people will know that we're Christians because we're loving towards people. Even the people that treat us horribly wrong. So in Deuteronomy, we're commanded to love God. In Matthew, we're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then in Luke 10, we're told who our neighbor is. Because Jesus shares a story with us about a certain Samaritan person. We don't even know their name. But here's the story that Jesus told. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now that's quite a story, knowing the, the background of things, because here was a Jewish man laying in the gutter half dead. Three people passed by him, only one does anything to help the guy. First one that passes by is a priest. That would be the equivalent today of like a preacher. Preacher not only doesn't help him, goes to the other side of the road. Or a Levite, a very legalistic person. And then thirdly, the Samaritan who was considered by Jewish people to just be scum of the earth. And it was usually vice, you know, pretty vice versa feeling. Nothing. Samaritans didn't like Jews and Jews didn't like Samaritans. Didn't seem to bother this guy. But it is interesting that the first person to ignore him was a minister of the gospel. Some people today believe the reason the preacher went to the other side of the road because it was very clear to him the guy had already been robbed of all of his money. <laughs> For those of you that think all we're after is your money, you know, I was threw that little joke in just for you to enjoy. The Samaritan was the only guy who stopped to help, which makes you, you know, ask yourself, well, you know, who was this guy? He was a man of a completely different religion. And we as Christians, we are not called to love false religions, right? 
but we are called to love someone who belongs to one, to show love. He was a man of a different race, a hated and detested race, as I said. People from Samaria were just considered uh, just absolute scum of the earth to Jewish people. They didn't, they didn't want to touch them. So the, the, the parable points out who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is anyone that we're able to help or to serve. That's who our neighbor is. There's a lot of Christians who love to talk about reaching the lost for Jesus. Amen? But apparently, almost 95% of them want someone else to do it. People love to talk about, oh, we need to win the lost for Christ. But their attitude is, but you know, we'll leave it to the professionals. That's not me. Because statistically speaking, this is a sad statistic. Less than 5% of people who claim to be, to have a, a, a personal relationship with Jesus, less than 5% have ever personally led someone else to the Lord. Don't you think that's a sad statistic? I tell you, if our church or any church was filled with people that have a real love for God, I'm telling you, the churches would just be busting at the seams because we would be showing people outside these four walls that we may not agree with you, you may be mean or ugly to us, we're still going to show love to you. I tell you, we couldn't, we couldn't hold everybody. So five, less than 5% of people who claim to be born-again Christians have actually led someone else to the Lord. So this attitude, the uh, common attitude in Christianity today, it's kind of like a guy who wrote uh, his girlfriend this letter. And he said this in the letter. He said, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the deepest sea. I would cross the burning desert just to have you near me. P.S. If it's not raining Saturday, maybe I'll stop by. I, mean, that, I thought when I read that, that, that sums up Christianity today. People want to be committed to Christ as long as it's convenient. But don't put me out. No, I'm very busy. I got a lot of things to do. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the second greatest commandment right behind love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. In Ephesians 5, we're commanded to love our spouse. In Matthew 5, we're commanded to love people who hate us. In Luke, we're commanded to love our enemies. Wow, God has given us a pretty good list of those who he has commanded us to love. Our neighbor, our spouse, our enemies. People who love us and people who hate us. So that being the case, a couple of points we need to make this morning. One, we are commanded to love. Period. There's no loophole. There is no legal loophole for us to not show love to someone. You say, yeah, but man, they cheated me out of a bunch of money, or they, you know, they hit me in the mouth, or whatever they did, or they cut me off in traffic. I hate that person. We have no legal loophole. 
Don't you wish we did? Oh, don't sit there and look all religious. Come on, how many of you wish you had a loophole that you could hate the ones that are really mean, nasty, ugly people? Wouldn't that be nice? They're mean, nasty, and they're ugly. They deserve to be hated. And thank you, Lord, that I get to do that. Well, we don't get to. There is no legal loophole. And we all love a legal loophole. How many of you enjoy a good loophole? I mean, when it comes to, I'm talking legal loopholes. When it comes to finding some loophole to where you don't have to send the government a ton of money, how many of you just love that? Bring on the legal loopholes, right? I love a legal loophole. Well, say that 10 times. Legal loophole, legal loophole, legal loophole. Try it after church. I'm going to continue on right now. I see all of your mouths. Legal loophole, legal loophole, legal loophole. Oh, that is hard. I tell you, I, I wish we had a loophole, but we don't have one. It says, no matter how people treat us, if we're really going to be Christians and not just a bunch of talk, then we have to still be loving towards these people. It doesn't mean we're going to feel in love with them, but we have to be loving. We can't be jerks right back to them, which is what we'd really love to do and is what we sometimes do. And that's when we're living an illegal life because we didn't have a loophole, but we thought we did because they were so mean and nasty and ugly to us, right? They deserve what they've got coming. Well, I wish it was that simple. We are commanded to love, period. But here's the good news. Here's some great news. God never commands us to do anything that he won't first enable us to do. He won't command us to do something that we're not capable of doing. Therefore, since he says we have to be loving towards everybody, that means we are capable of doing it if we'll let him help us. In and of our own flesh, never going to happen, right? So you're saying, well, so all of a sudden, you know, we're just supposed to decide to have love for some of these people that have done all kinds of hurtful things to us? And the answer is, yes. We have to make a choice to be loving. It doesn't, as I said, it doesn't mean that oh, feelings of love are just going to overwhelm us. It's going to happen overnight. That's why our divorce rate is 50%. Only half of them last. Why? Because people get married on the feeling of love, and as soon as that feeling dissipates a little bit, they're done. I don't feel the love. How many of you that have been married very long know that sometimes you don't feel the love? You, you press on in faith knowing it's there, I'm just not feeling it right now. Right? You know, there's a lot of things in life that are there, but we just don't always feel them. Love is one of those things. Here's an example. A guy comes home from the doctor. His wife said, well, what'd you find out? The guy says, well, uh, I've got pneumonia, but I've just decided I'll, I'll just be well. Well, we can't just decide that sometimes when we get good and sick, can we? It's best to take the medicine that is prescribed to us and also, of course, pray. By all means, pray that God heals us of whatever it is that is making us sick. And I think that's kind of how this, this love thing works. You may not be able to just all of a sudden 
decide you feel love for someone, but you can decide to start doing the things that will teach you and help you to have love for someone. God is saying this. He, he's saying, if you've got some ill feelings for someone, I have got the medicine that will allow you to love them. That's a big deal. And here is God's medicinal plan for loving someone. Here's how God says you can love someone. You ready for this? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? This is monumental. This is huge. What I'm about to tell you is huge. How you can have love for anybody. Don't you think that's big news? No, I'm glad three of you are excited about it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it applies to every one of you. Here's God's plan on how we can love everybody. He says, in order to love someone, all you have to do is serve them. That is the recipe for loving someone, is serving them. If you want to fully love your spouse, serve them. Don't just sit around waiting for them to serve you. You might be thinking, well, the problem I have is I don't want to love them anymore. Well, tough. You're commanded to. No legal loophole there. And just start serving them. Here's, a, here's a, an illustration I like. Mary and John are getting married. You go to the wedding and you're probably going to hear words like this. I, Mary, take thee, John, to be my lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward. You've heard that? Or something very, very similar many times? See, the main problem with that vow is that at this particular time in what is normally two young people's lives, it is very, very likely that Mary, in this case, does not fully love John at this point in her life. She is probably in love with John. There's a big difference between being in love and fully loving someone. See, the, the problem with uh, when you're just in love, we can very easily fall out of love. In and out, in and out. Happens every day. Now, here's how the vow ought to read. I told Janet, we, maybe we should change this in, in the vows that we do in, in marriage ceremonies. I, Mary, take thee, John, to be my lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and to learn how to fully love you. There's a huge difference there. I, I doubt if any of us fully loved our spouses the day we married them. I think most of us were simply in love with our spouses. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of commitment to fully love someone. And speaking of our marriages, you know, in our marriages, I'm saying this, you don't fully love someone until you know all of their faults and you're still willing to continue loving them. There's a difference, right? I had no idea my wife had so many faults when I married her. <laughs> this came as a shock to me. Fortunately, I had very few. <laughs> and just take my word for it, you don't need to talk to her. 
you fill your head with all sorts of stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, boy, yeah, we owe everyone's in love when they get married. But I tell you, as a few years go by and a few years go by, you find out you know, we've all got these little flaws that are annoying. <laughs> little annoying things that we need, we need God living in us to just overlook that little silly stuff and just fully learn to fully love someone. You know, so in our marriages, the secret is the love needs to grow at a faster rate than the fault finding. When you get that reverse, it ends up in divorce. Because you get to the point where there was a lot more fault finding than there was love growth. And it ends up in divorce. I think the story in John, the 21st chapter, where Jesus is talking to Peter, this is a good illustration. Jesus asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter kind of gives the typical male response, oh man, yeah, I love you, man. Very kind of superficial. What he was saying is, well, Lord, you know I'm, man, I, I am fond of you. So Jesus picks up on that. He, he, so he asks him again. He says, no, Peter, do you really love me? And again, he gets, you know, he could read Peter. You know, Peter said, hey, Lord, man, I like you a lot. So he asks him a third time. He says, Peter, do you love me? Look me in the eyes. And finally, Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus says, then do what? Feed my sheep. Do something. And that is the recipe for changing like into love. Jesus was saying to Peter, says, if you will serve me, then that superficial kind of love or like is going to dissipate and you're going to build and develop a real, full, godly, agape love for me if you will begin to serve. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that to us to this day. If you, will, if you love someone, you're going to serve them. You may not even know them. In the case of this Samaritan, he stopped and he was willing to serve. He showed love. He didn't know who the guy was. Not like he had these deep feelings of love. He just demonstrated love, right? By doing what? By serving. The opportunity was there. He served. Jesus, what he didn't say is that if you love someone, you will allow them to serve you. But that's how we act sometimes. With our friends, in our marriages, yeah, you know, if you'll, I'll, I'll love you if, you know, I'll let you serve me. It's a wrong attitude. By the way, do you have, I hope you got my lunch ready for me. Oh, we all know that's wishful thinking right there. You know, what a, she is a great wife. She, I would never let her get up here and tell her all of my flaws that she had to overcome to develop a full love for me because, you know, you'd quit coming to church here. <laughs> so I would never let her do that. But let me just say, suffice it to say, boy, she must really, really love me. Thank you, hon. Because I have a few flaws. Can you believe that? These are hard to believe, isn't it? 
They're there. They're there. So here's a true story. Here's a true story. A woman had gone to her pastor to talk about getting divorced because she was began to explain to her pastor, she says, I got to tell you, I just, I feel no love for my husband. The pastor said, well, unfortunately, it's not about how you feel. It's about what God has commanded you to do. She says, well, I know, I know. I mean, I, just, I love him a little. It's just not like I used to. The pastor said, well, I'm afraid that's impossible too. The woman started to get a little irritated. She said, what do you mean it's impossible? I, I know how I feel. The pastor says, well, I have to tell you, it is impossible to love someone a little bit. You either love or you don't love. There's no in-between. It's like being pregnant. You've heard that before. There is no in-between. You either are or you aren't. You never heard someone say, Phew, <laughs> I was just a little bit pregnant. <laughs> No one's ever said that sentence in the history of mankind. Glad I wasn't fully pregnant, just a little bit. Love is the same way. We either, in God's eyes, we either love or we don't love. There really is no in-between. You can't love someone a little because real love is all-encompassing. Well, anyway, as the story went on, this husband of hers got incredibly sick, near death kind of sick. And for the next several months, she got stuck taking care of him. And I'm sure her attitude at first, oh, great, you know, I was about ready to leave you, and now I have to stick around here and take care of you for a while. If I leave you when you're near death, I'll look like the bad guy. This is how people think, right? And that's what kept her there. She probably just didn't want people thinking, wow, what a jerk, man. The guy, poor guy's near death and she just books. So she wasn't that stupid. So she sticks around with this attitude, well, now I've got to take care of him. And so for the next few months, week after week went by and she's caring for him and she's serving him and she just has to wait on him hand and foot like an infant. He was so incredibly sick. And wouldn't you know that after several months of caring and serving, if she didn't go and fall in love all over again with her husband. Because that's what a servant's heart will bring into your life. Serving people creates a love for people. It's a principle that is steadfast. She learned how to love him because she was serving him, and that is God's exact recipe for love. So Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times, you know, Peter said, well, I like you a lot. Jesus said, if you'll feed my sheep, if you will serve me, if you will begin to serve me, your like is going to change into love. And that's the truth this morning. Our ability to love, it always comes down to a willingness to serve. I'm going to say it again. You tell me if you agree. Our ability to love comes down to our willingness to serve. How many of you love your church? Mm. You know how people know that? By your willingness to serve. I just threw that in for free. It wasn't even in my notes. That's interesting, though. 
Jesus is saying to us, if you'll stop just focusing on yourself, if you'll just stop focusing on your needs and your wants, and you'll begin to serve me, you will begin to love me, and you'll be able to love others around you. So one last thought in closing here. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the question became, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan. And I think it is very important for us to know that this Samaritan, whatever his name was, this good Samaritan, he didn't, he didn't actually love this guy that was laying in the ditch before he bandaged up his wounds and before he took him to this inn and this place of safety and took care of him. He didn't, he didn't feel a real love for him before that, but his love for him was manifest after he served this guy. It built, it created love. And if you will invest yourself into someone, if you'll sacrifice for someone other than yourself, then all of a sudden you're, you're going to find yourself beginning to have this agape love for people. A real love and a real concern for them, for their eternity. Tell you, if we all had that, I'm just telling you, every seat in this place would be filled. We have to develop it in our life. In order for us to have eternal life with Jesus in heaven, we have to obey this command that we have to love the people we come in contact with. We don't get to pick and choose. There is no loophole. Without a relationship with Jesus, it's impossible for us to love because we're always going to end up putting ourselves first instead of serving others. Love never grows in that kind of a relationship. But Jesus wants to have that relationship with all of us today. He came into this, earth, into this world for one reason, simply because he loved us so much. That's the only reason he came, because he loved us. And all he did in the 33 years that he spent here on earth, all he did was serve us. And his heart of love just grew so big for us that he was willing to die on a cross for us because of after all those years of serving, the love was so great. He said, I, man, I'm willing to die for these people. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.